0: Hey everybody, my name is Charlie, and uh, I'm the associate pastor at Oaks Parish, which is your sister church in Southeast, and I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me today. Um, When I was in college, I went to the University of Memphis in Tennessee, and the University of Memphis is a big state school. But it's not like U of O or Oregon State where people like go from out of town and like move to the college town. It's, it's a commuter school, sort of like Portland State. And when I graduated high school, um, basically the way it worked in Memphis is like this. If you graduate high school in the city of Memphis and you don't have your life together, you go to the University of Memphis and then you try to figure out your life while you're there. And so that's what I did. I jokingly say that because it's kind of true, but don't get me wrong—I love the University of Memphis. Not talking bad, uh, but for that reason, we called it Tiger High. It was the Memphis Tigers, and we called it Tiger High because at least the first few years of college, you just went, and it was just like a continuation of high school. And one of the ways it was like a continuation of high school was the cath- the culture in the cafeteria. There were three cafeterias on campus. I went to the smallest one, which was called the Tiger Den. And uh, Tiger Den was separated into two parts. And the part I was in was like all people that I went to high school with, people I went to church with. It was basically a continuation of the high school cafeteria. And what, just like in high school, uh, what table you sit at at lunch says something about your identity in the Tiger Den and it was a big deal to get up and switch tables or to move to a table where you weren't sure if you belonged. Let me give you an example. I went to a Christian school called Evangelical Christian School, and so when I went to University of Memphis, Tiger High, it only made sense that I sat with all the Christian school kids in the cafeteria. And the Christian school kids section of the Tiger Den was divided into three parts. Uh, One was the uh, RUF table. RUF, Reformed University Fellowship. That's the college ministry of our denomination. That's where all the Presbyterian kids sat. And they were a little too serious for me. So I didn't sit with them. And then on the other side, we had the the Southern Baptist College Ministry table. And they were a little too excited. A little too friendly. A little too excited for me. So I didn't didn't sit with them. I sat in the middle with... uh, Christian kids, we went to Christian school, we loved Jesus, but we didn't really belong with any of those other two groups. Maybe we listened to rock and roll music, maybe we stayed up late, Uh, maybe we did things that came, that usually come with staying up late and listening to rock and roll music. We were like the bad Christian kids, and I sat at that table. Well, One day, something in me just had enough of high school land. And I decided I was going to switch tables. I was going to go out on my own in the cafeteria and sit wherever I wanted. So I found a table that had two guys sitting at it, Tony and Adam. Now, I had known both Tony and Adam for a while. We all went to high school together, of course, Tiger High. Uh, but Tony and Adam were cousins. So I went and sat at this table in no man's land between between the you know the Baptist table and the Presbyterian table and the... Non denominational table. I went and sat at this table with Adam and Tony, and I sat down, and lo and behold, they were in a passionate discussion arguing over what it means to pray in the Spirit. Now, we're at college, you're supposed to have intellectual conversations. We're in the Tiger Den, in the Christian school section, it makes sense that we're talking about God. So I didn't think anything of it. So I sit down at the table, and I'm listening to this argument What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do when we pray? And Tony was arguing... Uh, Tony had grown up in a church that was sort of charismatic... And he, he grew up and his family was uh, very passionate. that wore their feelings in their sleeve. Tony had a big... Uh, he was an imaginative person. He was a very positive person. And Tony had a view that what the Holy Spirit does when you pray... Is that the whole... Is basically for some believers... For Christians that really had it together... Uh, the Holy Spirit would come and and inhabit their prayers, and you would know the Holy Spirit was with you when you prayed because sensational things happened. You got really strong feelings, or there were signs and wonders. And Tony was arguing that what the Holy Spirit did when Christians pray is that for some Christians, the Holy Spirit does miracles when you pray. That's Tony's argument. Uh, Have you guys ever heard somebody articulate something like that before? Okay, so Adam, to this day, I'm not really sure what Adam actually believed at the time about the Holy Spirit. All Adam knew is that he disagreed with Tony. And whatever it was that the Holy Spirit does when you pray, it's not sensational. Um, It's not amazing. It's very normal, and it's really not a big deal. So that's Tony and Adam. So that was my high school experience. I I mean, college experience. Same thing, University of Memphis. I sat at the table and I listened to the discussion. And the longer they went on, the more I realized that I was never, ever, ever, ever going to get up and switch tables in the Tiger Den ever again. And I found out that Tony and Adam, their two families had been fighting over this very issue. What does the Holy Spirit do when we pray for years They went to different churches, they had different views, and they were firing shots at each other about this. And here at this table in the Tiger Den was the front lines of the battle. So let me tell you, high school kids, middle school kids, college kids, don't ever switch tables in your cafeteria. Uh, Today I want to talk to you about what the Holy Spirit does when we pray. And uh, that discussion I had with Adam and Tony... uh, kind of sent me on a spiritual journey trying to figure this out. And for years, uh, I have been passionate about this issue. So today, I want to take you to the passage in Scripture, Romans 8. That's the definitive passage that has to do with what the Spirit does when Christians pray. Okay? Let's pray together, and then we'll read from God's Word. God, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it's good news. Thank you that we could trust you Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. Spirit, thank you for being here among us. God, I pray that in this time here and in this place, you would open our minds and our imaginations to the beauty of the gospel. God, I pray that you would do a work in us so that when we leave here today, we would be filled with joy and confidence and prayer. Lord, I thank you for this church. And I thank you that we can worship together this morning. In Christ's name. Amen. Okay, you can look in your worship guide, or if you have a Bible, turn to Romans 8. In my Bible, that's page 1137. I don't know if that helps you. That's, that's a joke. For... No more jokes, just preaching, Charlie. All right, let's, let's look. We're going to start with verse 16, Romans eight sixteen. The Lord himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay, so what does the Holy Spirit do when we pray? When we, you as a Christian, when you bow your head to pray, what does God the Holy Spirit do? Well, he does two things for every Christian. And the first is he advocates for you. When you as a Christian pray, the Holy Spirit advocates for you. Now, an advocate is a spokesperson or like an encourager. It's So, for example, last month, my wife Becca and I, we bought a house in southeast Portland. We, had, we lived way out close to Gresham and... Oaks Parish Church is in inner southeast. We want to get closer to our people. So we bought a house in southeast Portland. And to do that, if, if you've ever bought a house, you're thinking about that, you know it's a really complicated process. So to do that, we hired an advocate, a realtor. And our realtor, Michelle, advocated for us throughout the whole process. When we got discouraged or when we had questions, she encouraged us and she helped us. When we didn't know what to say to the buyers because we don't understand all the legal jargon. We just know how much money we can offer and what our monthly payment can be. Michelle spoke for us. So that's an advocate. An advocate is someone who encourages. Someone who stands up and speaks for somebody else. And every time you as a Christian pray, the Holy Spirit advocates for you. And we need an advocate when we pray. We need one because we are weak. We are a weak people. Every single person in the world who comes to God comes in weakness. You say, yeah, Charlie, I know I'm weak. I'm weak because of sin. And that's true. Our sin separates us from God. But what about the Christian? What about the Christian who's put their faith in Christ What about the Christian who trusts Jesus for salvation? How is it that we're still, as Christians, weak when we come to God? We come to God with all kinds of burdens in our lives, all kinds of trouble, all kinds of things we want to say. And we bow our heads and we just don't know how to talk to him. Well, this chapter, Romans 8, 1, it starts off with, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well, so you can know that if you trust Jesus for salvation, your sin doesn't separate you from God. But you still struggle with weakness. What is that? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that there's something in your heart you want to pray, but you just don't have the strength to get it out before God? Well, Romans 8 says that we're weak, even Christians who trust Jesus for salvation, we're weak because we live in a time of waiting. We live in what we could call the already not yet. If you're a Christian, Jesus has already paid the price for your sin. Jesus has already given you access to God. But you do not yet feel the full effects of your redemption. Here in Romans 8, it says that all of creation waits with eager longing and with groaning to see who the sons of daughters of God are. If you put your faith in Christ, God is renewing your heart. Like it says here, he's conforming you to the image of Jesus. But it doesn't happen all at once. We still struggle with sin. Glory is coming, but today life is hard. If you've been adopted into God's family because you put your faith in Christ, every person who puts their faith in Christ is adopted as God's son or daughter. But we do not yet feel the benefit of full union with him as our father, because we still live in a world that's broken. We are weak from the already, not yet. But here in Romans 8, it tells us that when we pray, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that no matter what we feel, no matter what we see around us, we are children of God. When you bow your head to pray, the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you in your heart. And he lets you know that God is your father. Have you ever been in a place where you felt discouraged or you felt the weight of the world and you bowed your head to pray? You didn't know what to say. You knew that you were weak before God. But as you sat there in prayer, you began to feel in your heart that God knew knew, that God knows you and he loves you. And he hears you. Have you ever felt that? That's the Holy Spirit working in you. When we bow our heads to pray, the Holy Spirit encourages us. He tells us what's true about ourselves as God's children. But he also speaks for you as an advocate. When you bow your head to pray, God the Holy Spirit speaks to God the Father on your behalf and even though you don't know what to say he tells god the father what's actually going on in your heart he advocates for you do you know what this means this means that you do not need to grow in eloquence this does not need, mean this means that you do not need to grow in your theological knowledge or your education or your level of mindfulness or awareness for God to hear you when you pray. Did you know that? Every single person who trusts in Christ. From a little child to someone in their sunset years. Every single person is heard by God when they pray. Every person who trusts in Christ. Because the Spirit is advocating for you. Our culture says that you need to grow and and. And your awareness or your mindfulness or your education. And that is simply not true because the Holy Spirit. So if I could go back in time to the tiger den and sit down at that table that I'd swore I'd never sit at again with Adam and Tony. Do you know what I would say to Tony who thought that praying in the spirit was only for some Christians? I would tell him, no, Tony, praying in the spirit is for every Christian every time. Because the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are sons and daughters of God. Because the Holy Spirit advocates for us. Well, the second thing that the Holy Spirit does when a Christian prays, he advocates for you and he accommodates for you. The Holy Spirit accommodates. He's an accommodator. To accommodate means to adapt to someone else. Let me give you an example. Several One of the things that I like to do as a hobby, I like to play guitar and I like to write songs. And a couple of months ago, I got invited to go to a songwriter's retreat, a Christian songwriting retreat. So I went to this songwriting retreat. It was an all-day thing, from like 8: 30 in the morning to 10: 30 at night. And it was at a lady's house. Uh, uh, it was at a lady's house in Portland. And I I, I go to this retreat and I sit down and we're working and talking about songs and doing exercises. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I wear tinted lenses in my glasses. That's because I have a significant vision disorder. And part of that is I am super sensitive to light, especially any kind of bright or irregular light. I have something called photophobia, which so irregular light uh, triggers uh, different things like nausea or pain it's a big part of my life. Uh, so I have a significant vision problem. So I sit down in the chair, I'm at the songwriters retreat and about an hour in, I just feel terrible. Like I'm nauseous, I can't think straight. And I realize that across the living room, into the dining room, there was a big chandelier and it was shining right in my face. And I hadn't realized it during the, during the retreat until it was like, I'm already feeling sick. So I tried to, as quietly as I could, I I got up and I kind of went around, everybody's talking, I didn't want anyone to see me, and I kind of went around the group and I went into the the dining room and I turned that chandelier off. And I came back to my seat and I sat down. And then all of a sudden I realized everybody was looking at me. And the lady who owned the house, who lived there, she looks at me and she goes, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I just, she, she said, did you turn the light off because you're uncomfortable or because it's annoying? What's going on? And there's some people there in the group that know me and they're like, oh, no, this lady, is, this is awkward. And I said, actually, I have photophobia. It's a vision disorder and uh, I'm really sensitive to light. And she goes, oh, oh, OK, OK, no problem. And then she starts going around the room, blowing out all the candles, turning off all the lamps. And I felt a little awkward because I don't like to draw attention to myself in that way. But the whole room goes to dark. And for the rest of the day, the whole group of songwriters sat in a dark room and we did our exercises. They accommodated to me. That's accommodation. They changed what they were doing to adapt to my needs. And I felt so welcomed. That's what the Holy Spirit does when you pray. He accommodates to you. Now, here's the thing about the accommodation of the Spirit. It's a theological black hole. And if you think about it too long, it will kill you. Because it is really complicated. Let me just, let me just give you a little glimpse at the black hole of the Holy Spirit's accommodation. Okay, uh, groaning. Well, let me read the passage. Look at verse uh, 26. It says, he just talked about how the Spirit helps us. How creation groans because already not yet we groan because already not yet we're weak. And then it says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So creation is groaning. We groan because we live in this time of waiting. And so when we pray, we're weak. The spirit groans and intercedes for us. Okay. The spirit groans. Groaning. That's a groan, right? Okay, when you groan, you push air. You, you know, your diaphragm pushes up. You push air out of your lungs. It goes over your vocal cords in time and space, and it goes out into the room. And we groan when we have something inside of us that needs to come out, but we don't have words for it. Correct. That's what groaning is. Okay, so the Holy Spirit groans for us. Now, the Holy Spirit does not have a body. He does not have vocal cords. Groaning comes when you push air through vocal cords, but you're not making words. The Holy Spirit doesn't have vocal cords. He doesn't breathe air. He doesn't push air out. It happens, when air moves over vocal cords in time and space. Well, the Holy Spirit, uh, I'm not sure he's bound by space. In fact, I'm pretty positive. I am positive. He's not bound by space. He, the Holy Spirit is a temporal, he's supra temporal. He is not bound by time, he's eternal. Do you, you understand why this is a problem? The Spirit has no body, does not breathe air, is not subject to space, he's eternal. How does he groan? How? Well, Charlie, it's a metaphor. Oh, okay, okay, if it's a metaphor, then, then um, we groan when we have something inside of us we feel that gets too big for us and it needs to come out. We are overcome with our feelings or our passions. That's what groaning is. And if it's a metaphor, then that has to be what it's referring to, right? Well, the Holy Spirit um, is impassable, Impassable, that's one of God's incommunicable attributes. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, He is not acted upon by His passions. God's feelings don't overcome Him. So, like God tells Moses, He says, My name is, I am who I am. I'm not defined or determined by anything outside of myself. So how is God the Holy Spirit Supposed to groan when he isn't feeling anything that needs to come out of his body, which he doesn't have. You see what I'm getting at this? Theologically, this doesn't really work. We groan when we experience the pain of life change. We, we groan because as a people, we're always becoming. Well, the Holy Spirit is immutable. God does not change. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord. I don't change. He, he, he is never becoming. He always is. He's, his understanding is beyond measure. He's omniscient, om, 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 omniscient. Do you see the problem I'm getting at here? The theologian John Frame in his systematic theology, he's talking about uh, talking about this. And this, this is what he says. He says trying to imagine what it would be like to have a consciousness without beginning or end, without change, with perfect knowledge at all time, and with complete sovereignty over temporal relationships, what would that feel like? Well, it certainly wouldn't feel like groaning. So, when we as Christians pray, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep, for words. This is a miracle. I want you to hear me. In our western. A plus B equals C. Systematic theology. Nice little categories for everything. In our minds. In our worldview, This doesn't make sense. That when you pray. The spirit would groan. The groanings that should be coming out of you. Do you know what it is? It's accommodation. The Spirit accommodates to you. In every other theistic worldview, every other religious system, we do things in order to accommodate to God. Other religious systems. God's up here and we need to change in order to go to him. But only in the gospel do we have a system where God himself accommodates to us. This is a miracle. This, Paul says that the spirit helps in our weakness. He's probably, this is probably an allusion back to, back to uh, what Jesus says in John 14 that the spirit is a helper and he's going to send a helper to help us on our journey with God well what's interesting is when Paul says that the spirit helps in our weakness he uses a stronger word for helps that even Jesus used when Jesus talked about the spirit and he said the spirit's the helper he uses the he uses the word parakletos It's a Greek word it means helper but when Paul comes along and he says the Spirit helps us in our weakness, he uses a different word. He uses the word sunanti lambatomai, which is way stronger than Paracletos. Sunanti lambatomai doesn't just mean helper; it means someone. It means to come alongside, get under the burden of, and share it with somebody else. So when Paul says the Spirit helps in our weakness with groanings too deep for words, what he's saying is that God, the Holy Spirit, when you pray, does a miracle, does something that doesn't make sense. God, the immutable, impassable, omniscient, unquantifiable Spirit gets under your burden and shares it with you. He accommodates to you, So if I could go back in time to that tiger high lunch table in that discussion, you know what I would tell my friend Adam? Who said that whatever the spirit does in prayer, it's not sensational. I would tell him that he's wrong. And I would go on to explain and to share with him the good news that every time a Christian prays, it is an absolute miracle. It is incredible that God hears you. It's unbelievable. We should, our jaws should drop in awe of what God does every time we pray. So what does the Holy Spirit do when we pray as Christians? Well, He advocates for us, for every Christian. And He accommodates to us. And it's a miracle. Folks, this should give you great confidence. Life is hard. I don't have to explain that to you. I can see it in your faces. And prayer, God has given you prayer as a way that you can share your weakness and your burden with God himself. Just as Jesus Christ, God the Son, accommodated to us by becoming a man and dying on the cross, the Holy Spirit accommodates for us by doing Sunan T. Lambatomai, by sharing our burden, by feeling our feelings, by praying our prayers and standing with us when we bring our requests to the Father. This is a miracle. So folks, think about your own prayer life. Think about the difficulty of talking with God and be filled with confidence because the Holy Spirit is with you. Let me leave you with an image of what this might look like in real time. Um, I remember in 1992, I was in the second grade. And we watched, as a family, we watched the Summer Olympics in Barcelona. And uh, it's the first time I ever remember watching the Olympics. And something happened that year in the Olympics that went down in Olympic history. Uh, In 1992, in the 400-meter race, there was a runner named Derek Redmond who ran for the UK. And you can go back. If you just don't do it right now, uh, but you can Google Derek Redmond Olympics and like a bazillion videos are going to come up with what I'm about to tell you about. Derek Redmond was uh, projected to do really well in the 400-meter race. And he lines up, and it's this big race, and he's the guy. And the guy shoots the starting gun and they start running and about a hundred meters in there. You can see on the video, Derek Redman falls to the track. And at the time in 1992 in the Olympics, the world goes, because it's the Olympics. And then you watch him as he gets up and he kind of grabs the back of his leg and he looks down and looks around and then he starts running again. And about 30 yards down the track, he hits the deck again. And the rest of the runners are already finishing the race. And then out of nowhere, another man appears on the track. He starts heading for Derek. One of the guys, the race officials in the green jacket, comes up and tries to get the guy up to stop. And you can see as this man, uh, he, he waves the race official away and says, no and goes right past him. And he goes to Derek and he gets down on the track with Derek. The next thing you see is the guy, he throws Derek's arm over his shoulder and he gets up and they start walking together. And with every step, you see pain on Derek's face and you see pain on the man's face. And what the world found out later was that that was Derek Redmond's father. Derek Redmond had put, Pulled his hamstring in the race and he hit the deck and his father jumps over the rail, comes out of the stands, runs down on the track, waves the official away, gets with Derek. They get up and they finish the race together. Well, I was doing some Googling about this and I found an interview with Derek Redman that he did uh, after, the, after the race. I, I, this is much later than the race He's reflecting. And he says this. He says, with about a hundred meters to go, I became aware that someone else was on the track and I didn't realize it was my dad, Jim. I didn't realize it at first, but then he said, Derek, it's me, you don't need to do this. I said, dad, I want to finish the race. Get me back in the semifinal." And he said, okay, we started this thing together and now we'll finish it together. And he managed to get me to stop trying. And just walk. And he kept repeating, Derek, you're a champion. You have nothing to prove. Folks, this is what it means to pray in the spirit. Believers in Christ, every time you pray, something greater than this happens. Jim Redman accommodates to Derek. He comes out of the stands. Out from way up. And he gets down on the track. Gets down on the ground in front of everybody. Puts Derek's arm around him. Does sunanti lambotomize. Shares the burden. Gets up and walks with him. Jim Redmond advocated for Derek. When the officials who are trained to get injured runners off of the track come out. Jim Redmond looks at them and says, No. Get away from us. And they finished that race. And that story... Mount Derrick Redmond. It's everywhere now. Nike picked it up. It's on a Nike commercial. Jim Redmond was wearing a Just Do It hat. It was like perfect for Nike. But it has become a story of what it means to be human. So much more than a race. So much more than finishing. So folks, people who believe and trust in Jesus, even though you are weak, even though you are hamstrung by your sin. Even though you don't know what to do. Every time you bow your head. The Holy Spirit comes to you. So it's my prayer. The beginning today. When you bow your head to pray. You would know his voice. As he says to you. Son or daughter. It's me. The Spirit. Stop trying. Walk with me. We started this together, and we will finish this together. That's the miracle of praying in the Spirit, and it's for you. Let's pray.